Welcome to the Mela Campbell podcast. This is our series of discussions and interviews designed to provide coaches with inspiring learning content. I'm Debbie Aurelius and in this episode, I was lucky enough to be able to spend time with Eyal Pavel talking about imposter syndrome. Eyal is a clinical psychologist by training and has been practicing as an executive coach for 20 years. It was a fantastic opportunity to really explore the subject of imposter syndrome. Eyal shares a profound understanding of both the signs of the syndrome and the tactics we can deploy to overcome it. Interestingly, he also tells us about some of the more positive aspects of imposter syndrome, which was a really fascinating insight. There's some excellent advice in this conversation for anybody and particularly for coaches as Ayal talks about how to support coaching clients with their imposter syndrome too. I'm delighted to welcome Ayal Pavel to the podcast today. So welcome Ayal. Thank you very much, Debbie. Pleasure to be here. Oh, that's lovely. Eyal has achieved a PhD in clinical psychology and practiced in inner city New York in the psychiatric hospitals and clinics. For the last 20 years, he's been practicing as an executive coach and he's currently a well-respected member of the Mailer Campbell faculty and a business coach trainer. So I'm really excited to speak to Eyal about the topic we've chosen today. Would you like to tell us what subject matter we're going to explore? Absolutely. So um, imposter syndrome, which is something I think it's a term that really refers to some kind of uh, like almost like a fear or some kind of notion of I've succeeded in something, but I will be found out. So all has been well until now, but it's only a matter of time until my true colors will show and my promotion or my good luck or my new relationship will actually come to an end because uh, somebody will, or everybody perhaps, will uh, realize who I really am. So that that's in a nutshell the imposter syndrome. Not a very pleasant feeling to walk around with. No, and it's something I know is discussed quite a lot in online conversations and in workplace conversations and that sort of thing. So how common actually is it? Some research has indicated that it's about probably 70% of people will experience signs and symptoms of imposter phenomena at least once in their life. The good news is that it's usually not a lifelong condition. It kind of can come and go and, and, and we can talk soon about when it's likely to be triggered or not. But yeah, seven out of 10 of us will find it familiar that we have experience at some point in our, in our life. Yeah, seven out of ten, that is quite a sort of high proportion. So would you regard being in a state of imposter syndrome as being quite normal? Could you regard that as normal? Uh, absolutely. And it is absolutely not a mental disorder. So it's not classified in any of the psychiatric uh, manuals or diagnoses or so on. It is one of those kind of conditions or, or phenomenon that um, is up there because it does cause people distress, but it is not by any means a full-blown mental disorder. Okay, that's interesting to know. So it, you gave us a sort of nutshell description of imposter syndrome at the very beginning. Do you have 
more of a sort of definition of exactly what imposter syndrome is? Yes. So, so technically, it's the persistent and internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud or a, a phony, and uh, usually intellectually, but it can also happen in things like relationships. So feeling that you are in a place or you are in a role or you are with a person, but it's not justified, it will be taken away as soon as you know they discover your real skills and talents and attributes or, or rather lack of. That's really interesting, actually. I've, I've thought about imposter syndrome a lot from a sort of professional perspective, but never really in, in terms of relationships. It's quite fascinating that mm. it, you know, it straddles that too. So how would somebody know if they actually had imposter syndrome and whether it was really imposter syndrome or just they're feeling slightly anxious about what they've got to do that day? Okay, re- re- really good question. So feeling slightly anxious before a presentation or first day in a role that you were newly promoted in is is absolutely normal and, and many would even say is actually you know a desirable thing because it means that you're actually paying a lot of attention, you recognize that this is something new, that this is something important, might stretch you, you're focused. But it does not qualify for imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is something that goes beyond just one episode or one day or one event. It goes beyond the feeling of, oh, um, what if I fail? It goes beyond a feeling of, maybe I'm not prepared enough, or maybe I haven't got the right answers, or maybe I'll, you know, I'll, be, I'll be embarrassed by, by, by something. But there's a level of interpretation which goes to really kind of the way we think of ourselves. So the imposter syndrome comes in as the one saying, actually, you've gotten here, but it's due to luck, and you, know, you will be found out. And you might pull it off again, you might not, but you're really on shaky ground and on thin ice because at the end of the day, you're really not qualified for this. Given that 70% of people experience that, I'm guessing that people you'd identify as very successful people experience that too. Is that right? Absolutely. And in some ways, it's it's probably one of the psychological phenomena that almost by definition um, happens with success. Okay, right. so... So it's when you achieve something that you, you, you value and, and you regard highly and so do others around you, so does society, and you've achieved something and you're standing up there on you know, the top of, of, of one of your proverbial mountains and saying, okay, I was lucky, I made it to here, fingers crossed, things were going well, but I'm not really that good. Or if people kind of start scratching the surface, I will be exposed and I will be found out. I'm actually not that clever. I'm actually not that confident. I'm actually not that knowledgeable, not such a great leader, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Right, and and why do people hold that kind of inner belief, particularly if externally other people are acknowledging their success? That That's really interesting. I, I personally think it's kind of part of how our minds work. So uh, we don't only do things, we also reflect on how we do them. And we reflect on what it means about us. 
as 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 people so it's tied into identity so when i you know there's some things we don't think about that we do kind of every day and and they don't really touch on our identity but when we're in new situations or when we're trying new things or when the context around us is new then it's not just we're not just focused on our actions we're also focused on we kind of evaluate them we think about okay how well did i do here did i get it right and from there on we take it to another level of questions so what does that say about me as a person uh, am i successful uh, am i stronger faster more intelligent etc so so there's kind of a level of self awareness and of kind of observing ourselves doing something we tend to bring in a lot of judgment around that so so these things are then kind of quite immediately and quite automatically imbued with with value judgments which could be either positive or negative yes i'm you know i'm really clever i'm really effective i'm you know really quick or talented or or whatever it is or negatively which is where the imposter syndrome kind of starts speaking louder now another interesting thing is the imposter syndrome can really it spans time in a very interesting way so it can happen before something it can happen during something and it can happen after something okay so what i mean by that is it can happen you know the imposter syndrome can take their seat before the promotion okay or before the the, the event where there's some kind of recognition going on in anticipation of it can also happen during so you know okay i'm in a new role i am taking my place taking on something that and while i'm still you know in the role doing my job it's still there with me so the imposter syndrome will be that little kind of chirping behind you know my back saying mm, okay um are you really sure you're doing this right or okay what if they saw what you just did or what if somebody catches on to the fact that you know we haven't covered this or you didn't deal with that effectively so while you're doing something it's kind of active and it can also happen afterwards i mean you know there are people who even in retirement might look back at their career and be left with that imposter sense of okay i pulled it off you know it wasn't because i'm really that great okay i i i had all these roles and i was nominated for this and and i had a brilliant career but i was i was really lucky i i i got away with it i wasn't found out wow it's amazing to think that people can even look back on their career and still kind of view it through a lens of imposter syndrome that's fascinating mm. At which stage is it most likely to take hold of somebody? Like we mentioned, first of all, it has to do with some kind of achievement or nomination or success, but something that is seen as uh, at least on a general level as something positive. Okay? And and that that's where like we said either a role or promotion, but also, you know, a relationship for instance. Mm. Uh being chosen for something, earning something, um being placed somewhere that is desirable and um that gives us either you know great self sense of fulfillment or 
or a sense of respect because there's also kind of a social context around that which the imposter syndrome can use to uh, continue to in- intensify itself. It's around achievements. It's around transitions also, and, and transitions, you know, upwards and onward. Promotions. That's a classic. Uh, being nominated for something, you know, you know, I'm, I'm been nominated for the sports team. I've been nominated as part of, you know, the board. Where we are in a place where we feel okay. I have been successful until now. But I'm in a new context, which is more demanding. There are likely to be more eyes watching me. I'm likely to be stretched in some ways. And that kind of forces us to think of ourselves and go into that kind of self-reflective mode. And that's, that's exactly what the imposter syndrome loves and kind of really enjoys jumping on board and starting the call of, well, you were lucky until now, but you might get found out this time you know you're one station above your station so that's a very common thing um it can also happen when we're in a new context such as a new educational center you know joining university being chosen as part of a you know some kind of team moving to a completely different social context where there's this kind of internal negotiation of okay i've now somehow joined a group a different group and you know there's some kind of choice or they've invited me in they've accepted me so now that I'm in oh dear um, will I really fit in do I really have what it takes and again the imposter syndrome loves those kinds of doubts and, and that kind of chatter right. yeah yeah and also sometimes being a minority which is interesting any minority visible minority or or, or non-visible minority also can trigger those imposter syndromes um, where a kind of a sense of belonging to a group can can work in the, in the same kind of ways that are described for kind of being being accepted into a new kind of situation and where people will get to know me and where I will get to know them and there's some kind of a mutual expectation to perform in certain ways. So one of the ways to think about how the imposter works is is, is what's called the, the imposter cycle, where we're required to do something or to, or to take a place in, in some, some new situation. We feel like a fraud. We try to understand why we think we are a fraud. We create reasons. Uh, for that, so we might think, okay, I, I might be a fraud because I'm not qualified. I don't have the right credentials or certifications, and that would lead us then to think, okay, so I need to go out and get those credentials. I get those credentials, but I still feel like a fraud. And then you kind of get into the cycle where, and and this is this is how these kind of inner voices work. You can throw a lot of objective facts at them, but if there's a nagging question that, that keeps going, it hasn't really been settled yet. If we don't really have a true felt sense of identity or our worth or ownership of our talents, and that question will not go away, um, you know, even if we we have many, many credentials and certificates and prizes and, you know, and anything like that. 
Yeah. We might try to over-prepare, which is one kind of coping mechanism that the imposter syndrome tends to elicit. So, okay, I feel like a fraud. What can I do? Okay, I will know every single thing there is to know. I will work incredibly hard at this so I can, you know, will not be found out. Or there's the almost the opposite, which is kind of procrastination. So procrastination is actually not wanting to deal with this discomfort, not wanting to test what the imposter is telling me. So trying to avoid the situation, which feels better than engaging with it and risking the fact that I will be shown up. Thank you. I think that's a really helpful description of that kind of imposter cycle. Accepting that imposter syndrome is persistent, as you said in the beginning, what are the outcomes or what's the impact on performance of having imposter syndrome over a long span of time? Persistence does not necessarily mean that it will be with us for our entire life, okay? It can be persistent for a while. It can be persistent in a role. It can be persistent while we're at university, kind of actively persistent, um, but it may also kind of be in the background and kind of ready to ready to emerge over many years, but kind of peaking and troughing in terms of uh, to what extent and how intensely we experience it. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's interesting in terms of performance and what imposter syndrome, how that imposter syndrome affects performance. There's actually two kind of paradoxical ways in which that happens. So there is, because there's this kind of disturbance and, and, and stressful self-perception, the kind of, oh no, you know, I better not be seen as a fraud. On one level, it destabilizes and causes stress. And stress, we know, generally speaking, if, if it intensifies too much, it does start affecting performance. So if we're nervous about everything we do all the time, then then we're likely not to to do it that well. On the other hand, this kind of, I guess, phenomena of, of, you know, kind of fear also means, and and there's a positive to imposter syndrome, which, which means that we also try to do our best and to be our best, even if it's because we don't want to be found out, okay? Um, So we actually try harder and we pay more attention to what we're doing and we apply ourselves more fully to things and we're also more sensitive and open to feedback and to learning, which which is actually another, I think, a pretty positive side effect of imposter syndrome. Yeah, quite surprised actually to hear the positive side of it, but encouraged as well. I, I think you're right. I think having that openness to the self-assessment and then feedback in order to grow, um, you know, that, that has to have positive outcomes. So. Yes. And there is a general kind of curve with anxiety where actually we're at our best when there's just a, we're at the edge of our competency. So when we're learning, but we're not engage with things that are completely beyond our capabilities but there's some kind of a effort made you know a lot of attention and focus that's actually when when we can be at our best and when we learn and grow and it's interesting when we actually do not perform well it's either because we are let's say uh too anxious 
but mistakes often happen when we're not paying enough attention. And this is another interesting angle because in some ways we can think of the imposter syndrome as actually the opposite of, of narcissism. So whereas narcissism is really only looking at positive self-regard. So, you know, how wonderful, how intelligent, how talented, uh, how amazing, you know, I am, which is, mm. which is the kind of the element of narcissism that also comes a lot with in somehow taking it for granted and therefore not working so hard and with a complete lack of humility. Mm. Whereas imposter syndrome is kind of on the side of humility at the end of the day. And, and there's a lot more when it comes to leadership styles, there's a lot more recognition of the value of humility in being an effective leader. And, and I guess that leads me to ask, how can we overcome the negative aspects of imposter syndrome, the stress and the negative self-talk, but however, maintain that level of humility and that um, openness for growth? Good question. So, so really, imposter syndrome is like a voice in, in, in our head, and that voice can be dialed up and it can be dialed down. So it's really important to focus on really the story that we are telling ourselves basically in our, in our own heads. And in, in some ways it's kind of, it, it follows the, you know, the only thing worse than not getting what you want is getting what you want. I mean, I, you know, ironically, but that's kind of how it works. And that, that, that's part of the, you know, the feeding ground for the impulsive syndrome. Yeah. Really, the, the ways to do that is, first of all, to recognize it for what it is, what we sometimes refer to as naming something. So rather than being completely overwhelmed by this diffuse feeling of anxiety or of dread, um, sometimes just understanding that, okay, this is actually the imposter syndrome rearing its head. And what that does is enables us to take a little bit of distance. And rather than us being, you know, us and the imposter syndrome kind of being the same, the same thing, it actually becomes an object. It becomes something that is part of our landscape, but it doesn't define it, it in its entirety. And what then happens is you can start allowing other things to move in. So you can start really uh, questioning that imposter syndrome. You can start engaging with it. And once you do that, and, and we can talk in a moment about ways to engage with it, it kind of shrinks into size a little bit. You know, it doesn't become the entire field. It just becomes one of the voices that we're carrying when we are in a situation or before a situation or, or, or indeed also when we are looking back at a situation and kind of retelling ourselves, you know, what happened and why we succeeded and how we succeeded and, and thanks to what. One good thing is is kind of reality check. You know, if if, if the imposter syndrome and, and it can speak, you know, very loudly, getting some more objective input can 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 help shrink the imposter down to size a little bit. So that includes things like getting feedback. It includes like speaking to to people, kind of checking ourselves, um, uh, you know, to answer that question. Hey, 
are we ready for this? Um, okay. I Sometimes I think I'm really talented in these things and I have more experience, but I'm actually not so sure. So how do I get some kind of reality check around that? And that can be done very, you know, very informally as well. And it can be done, you know, just asking people, um, you know, how did that presentation go or really just kind of debriefing on things that have gone. It can, it can even be just reminding myself of my achievements, you know, kind of looking back at my career and, and understanding, okay, this, these are the steps I took. This is what I, what I have achieved, um, kind of really taking stock. And that's exactly the kind of thing that kind of quietens the imposter. Other things that help is really focusing on something that does not only have to do with the question, am I successful or am I achieving this or am I the best, you know, in my role or something that is defined by how great I am or not. And what I mean by that is really thinking of, of kind of a purpose. Mm. Um, so rather than judging myself, okay, am I the best CFO? Am I a fantastic leader or not? Uh, how do I compare myself to, you know, the previous person who held this role or, or to my ideal of the role? What you can actually remind yourself of is the greater purpose of what you're doing okay so so whatever you know let's say it's a promotion the point of this is not for me to get promoted the point of me is to have more impact on you know the people the product the world uh, the team whatever it is and to help promote something that is a little bit larger than just me or my own success or failure. Right. And that's kind of what's called intrinsic motivation. So that is motivation that comes from, from inside. It's, it's to do with values. It's to do with the value that things have beyond how I'm judged from an external perspective. I love that idea, actually. So it becomes less important in a way whether I judge myself for success. It's more important to me that the initiative or the purpose I feel like I'm here to contribute to is in itself successful. Is that exactly, exactly. And that takes the attention away from that question, you know, am I good enough? Because that almost, that's no longer the main question that I'm engaging with. The question is, Am I doing as much as I can? So when we step away from just thinking about ourselves in a new situation as a pass-fail test, and instead of that, we move more into a learning mindset, great things can happen. So we are then focused on how can I continue to improve myself? Mm. How can I make a bigger impact? How can I live up to our values? Um, how can I continue to do my job better and better and better? And that is a learning mindset. That means that what captures my attention is not kind of a binary, am I good enough or am I not good enough? Mm. But it means kind of engaging with people, with situation, with trying to make things better 
And the old question of, you know, am I a fraud kind of just starts to fall away, really. And practically speaking, it means, A, you know, if you're blessed enough to kind of have a, a natural learning mindset, that's great, kind of keep it going. Um, if it's not something that, that we're used to, then, it, then it, it just means that we can train ourselves to do that through daily taking stock with asking ourselves the question, okay, so what have I learned today? It might come after the instinctive imposter question of, did I pass or did I fail? Or, or, or was I good or was I bad? Or what would I think of me? And if that's the first question that pops into mind, well, then that's fine. But the point is to continue beyond that, hmm. to continue to the question of, okay, so what can I learn from this? What have I learned today? How can I continue learning um, now that I've done this? What's next on the agenda? What will be important tomorrow? And that can be done either kind of reflecting, you know, during the commute. It can be done through journaling, however way it is. But that's really when we integrate the day and the events and, and how we perceive them in a way that, that, that will ultimately reduce the, the kind of the stress and the discomforts that the imposter syndrome brings with. Are there any other practical tactics we can deploy to help us overcome our imposter syndrome? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, yes, there are a number. One is uh, really changing our language a little bit or, or at least paying attention to our language. So one of the kind of effects of imposter syndrome is sometimes it kind of leaks out. So it's, it's not just the voice in our head, but it also uh, becomes the way we express ourselves to the outside world. And that looks like like tentativeness or kind of downplaying ourselves. So it can, you know, it might well mean that we're using very tentative words. Uh, so we're not committing to something. So we won't kind of be right or wrong about it. Uh, it's words that can, you know, maybe belittle us. That's something that people will pick up on it. And, and what it will do is it'll it put us into a, a, a negative cycle where, you know, we're effectively lowering expectations of ourselves and other people are also then lowering expectations of us. So when the imposter syndrome actually starts expressing itself in our language and the way we communicate to others, in some ways it's, it's, a, it's an attempt to kind of almost lower the expectations and lower the risk that we're putting ourselves into so we use very tentative words maybe perhaps um we don't commit to things so so you know we, we don't have to kind of take or at least feel that we will be in a position to take full ownership for any kind of failure that that may subsequently happen you know sometimes we can we can start by paying attention to the tentative words that we're using and get into the habit of dropping them and standing behind certainties more. It doesn't mean we need to be arrogant, but it, it might mean that we are saying more what we think. We might say, this is where I stand now. This is an option that at this point is something I believe in. So you're showing that you're open but you're also showing that you are um, actually standing behind your words and you're ready to engage with others 
from a position where of, 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 of equals really rather than trying to kind of hedge the risks another thing we can do is reframe things into and it can be the same feeling that we might have so for instance um it's very common for for, for most people you know just ahead of a presentation in front of a large audience you know what happens is our nervous system kicks in and we feel kind of this you know energy and lots of research has been done around this when we name it as nervousness or fear or anxiety what it does is it actually starts to interfere with our performance okay but if we name the same feeling that we have as excitement or enthusiasm that actually enhances our performance so it's kind of labeling the same feeling in a way that is more positive and constructive almost kind of translating our experience away from the negative judgment into something neutral or even positive um, is another very practical way of helping chip away at the imposter. So in itself, it's probably not going to do the whole job, but it can, it can help and it can help also in, in certain, uh, you know, around certain events. Right. One other, one other thing that helps to, to really internalize our success and our achievement and kind of part of the taking stock of what I have and my experience and whatever talents I have is really passing it on to other people. So teaching others, mentoring others. Um, this can be done, you know, formally or informally. Uh, you know, it really helps, for instance, if we are, you know, being promoted. So onboarding our replacements, you know, and, 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 and thinking of that really as, as a way of giving what we have to give to the person who's taking our previous role. That also has, you know, very positive effect in terms of really reminding us of what we've achieved and that it's not due to luck but that it's due to you know a number of you know talents motivators skills experiences knowledge attitudes um what, whatever it is and and mentoring others in general actually helps us to really take more ownership of what we bring to the table and um that can really start adding up and then the voice of the imposter will start diving down. Eyal, I think that you've just given us a really impressive range of practical tactics we can deploy in order to overcome our imposter syndrome. So would you kindly just summarise those six key points for us? Gladly. So I think the first thing to do is really to name it to recognize it for what it is so this is the imposter syndrome kind of rearing its head it is not me it is not the you know the entire truth and then that enables us to take the second step which is to engage with it so to test it outside in the real world to you know get some feedback to reflect on our activities to prepare ourselves and to really kind of challenge it 
Then we also know that working with what we call intrinsic motivation, so that means a motivation that is not due to kind of external kind of pass fail or external judgment, mm. but rather something that's important to us as a key motivator. So we're, we're actually, what I'm doing is for a greater good or for a purpose that goes beyond just seeing if I'm good at it or, or not good at it. And that then allows us also to see things as a learning process, which I think is another really effective way of kind of dialing down the imposter. And then a couple of other practical things is thinking about the language that we use, because the language that we use uh, in words to the outside can also then help us change the language that we use in, in the way we tell the story to ourselves. So dropping the tentative words and, and taking more ownership. And then finally, it's around teaching others and kind of using that as a way to remind ourselves of really what we bring to the table. Yeah. And that it's not due to luck or circumstance or happenstance and that we've not been you know, defrauding people, but we really do you know, have what it takes to have arrived at whatever positive place that we are now in. Yeah, perfect. That's such a helpful summary. Thank you so much. I think it's a good time to shift the conversation a little bit to our role as coaches or aspiring coaches. And I wonder, how could I identify if I'm in a coaching conversation, if my client is suffering with imposter syndrome, but hasn't actually self-identified how could I surface that conversation? That's a really good question. And, and within a coaching context and the, the, the coaching, the client coach, um, I think a few things that a coach can really keep an ear out for. So first of all, there's the, the, the context trigger situation. So we would be keeping an ear out for the imposter syndrome um, when the discussions around promotions, for instance, or transition points mm. with the coachee. And this can be either, you know, before building up to talking, you know, it can even be at the point of an aspiration. So perhaps the, the coaching goal itself is preparing for promotion. So that's an example of kind of ahead of, of time. It can also, as we said, kind of start playing up when we're in the role. So particularly in the early days, so the, the, the first 90 days. Uh, but not only, because it, it can then also pop up, okay, I was successful in the first year, but now really, um, you know, I pulled it off this far, but, you know, things are going to show now. So around highly visible events, so whether it's things like media performances, whether it's important board engagements, whether it's some kind of events going on in the, in the company, when there might be new audiences where the client might feel that will, in effect, kind of unmask them. So suddenly question the success, you know, their own success, and really expose them really as, as, as a fraud. So first of all, I think, you know, we, as a coach, we have to just keep our ear out for 
things that sound like self-doubts and not that every self-doubt is an imposter syndrome you know not at all but if it keeps repeating if it comes also if it, if the self-doubt goes beyond a particular event but really starts kind of generalizing into i am not good enough uh questioning my present as well as my past for instance you know kind of the the, the notion of kind of being found out you know everything until now was just luck and the whole thing will unravel there's also the angle of you know sometimes the client reports back some some good news you know a particularly successful presentation or meeting or completion of the project or or something like that or or a promotion indeed but there's something in the way that they communicate that to us in the coaching session, which almost doesn't, doesn't tally up. So as a coach, I always think, wow, that sounds really impressive. What, what great news. But you're, seeing, you're not seeing that emotional positive quality in the way that the, the client, the coachee, is really telling you about this. They're, they're actually they're being a bit sheepish. They would say, "Oh yes, and that was really good," but but their emotional expression and their non-verbals don't match the you know what sounds like a positive event. And and here, I think as a, as a coach, I think it's 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 very important to be able to reflect that back to the coach. Right. And from there, you know where where the discussion can go. Sometimes. It can lead into, into really imposter syndrome territory. And then we would, as a coach, we would follow the, you know, the, the best practices, which is to, to name it, to engage with it, and uh, really to help the coachee work with their achievements and work with their own story and kind of re-narrate what has gone on in more productive ways. That makes perfect sense. From your perspective of experience, how successful can you be as a coach in, in trying to coach people through imposter syndrome? There is a good degree of success working with imposter syndrome. Part of it is, is just the nature of engaging with somebody objective. So what, what you're doing as a coach, you're, you're actually you're being invited in to that story that the coachee is telling themselves. So actually, you, you, you have a lot of potential to help shape that story and to challenge parts of it and to help the coachee then kind of re-narrate and tell their story in a different way. So, so actually, everything is in place to be able to work very successfully with imposter syndrome. And things will... You know, all being well, um, you will also, after you've maybe dealt with, you know, the specific event that has triggered the imposter syndrome, another very important thing to do is, is to help the person uh, give them kind of coping tools and ways to identify also any kind of future events or transitions or times where they might be prone to kind of falling back into this imposter syndrome. So giving them the tools to coach themselves through it. If you've had the imposter syndrome kind of chattering away, good chances 
that it will give it another go next time you're, you're a little bit more uh, vulnerable to to it. Yeah, perfect. So how would you respond if a coachee said, I am suffering with imposter syndrome or I'm struggling because I feel like a fraud right now? How would you respond to that situation? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those people actually use the term imposter syndrome, so um, it is it's out there. And um, if they're using it, I would you know the first thing I would do is is kind of really explore with them kind of what that means, what makes them you know say that, uh, and and kind of really kind of open up and explore it if they already brought the term in. Sometimes they've they would just use the word oh I feel like a fraud or I feel like I will be exposed. Um, and then I'm guessing that they haven't heard the term imposter syndrome. And what I might do is, you know, I'll explore that quite a bit, but but then I would also, and this is part of the, the strategy of naming it. So I would say, you know, those terms that you're using, feeling like a fraud, feeling like you're, you're kind of deceiving people and you know, other people think you're much better than you really are. That's actually something, uh, you're, you're not alone with that. That's actually something that is out there and is actually quite common. And I might, you know, I might even give them the term imposter syndrome. And sometimes we can also play around with it. I think it lends itself into a metaphor of, you know, it, it's, it's an imposter. It's almost like a, like a person there. Um, and sometimes it would enable us to use that really as a vehicle uh, to engage with. So, you know, what's your imposter saying now? You know, how big is your imposter? How loud are they uh, shouting now? And, and that, that can become a, a very nice and even playful way of engaging with that. Yeah, I really like that idea, actually. That's been so helpful. I'm, I'm really grateful to you for um, helping us to get a clearer picture of not only dealing with imposter syndrome for ourselves, but also building that into our coaching practice. So for anybody who's listening, do you have an idea of any good resources they may be able to go to after the podcast that will help them with their learning about this topic? Sure. Actually, there is a, an online imposter checklist that if people are so inclined, they can they can fill out and get the results um, straight away, telling them how active their imposter is. That can be just just Googled, and uh, I believe it's free, and uh, might be a starting point to reflect on. That sounds like a great idea. I'm going to try that out. Thank you so much for that, Al. I genuinely enjoyed that conversation and I feel like I learned such a lot about imposter syndrome from that. So thanks so much for sharing that with us today. Thank you very, very much, Debbie, for having me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. again to AL for sharing all that wisdom and experience with such eloquence. If you'd like to find out more about AL or about imposter syndrome, look at more information in our show notes and you can get those from the Mailer Campbell website. So that's at mailercampbell.com. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. I really hope it's given you some tips and tactics that you can put to good use. 
you're most welcome to share this episode with a friend or with a colleague who you feel may benefit from listening to it too. And if you have a moment to rate the podcast or even to review it in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us, that will be really helpful and it will help us to be found by other people too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.